Hi, this is Dana Stevens, Slate's movie critic, here with a Slate spoiler special on Meek's Cutoff, the new Kelly Reichert film. Joining me is John Swansburg. Hey, John. Hey, good to be here. Where do we begin with Kelly Reichardt's Meeks Cutoff? I mean, I think, first of all, we should um, summarize the plot briefly, and then I want to talk about who Kelly Reichardt is and why we were both so excited going in, knowing only that title and that name. Right. So the plot is seven people get lost in Oregon. That is the plot, right? In, in what year would you say? Did they say? 1830s? 1830s or 40s? I think pre-Civil War. Ah, 1845. 1845. There you go. That makes sense. But we're never in civilization, so we don't have any real cues other than other than that as to, as to sort of what's going on in the world, which is an interesting part of the movie that we should maybe talk about later. But the plot essentially is there are uh, three families of a husband, a wife, and one of the couples has a child, and they're being led through the – I guess it's the eastern portion of Oregon. They're on their way to the the lush Willamette Valley where they're going to settle and hopefully kind of make their homesteads and and, uh, start a new life. And they're being led there by this guy named Meek, where the title gets its its name. So Meek is a guide who they've hired to sort of bring them through this part of Oregon that is completely dry. There's no water. There's there's no there's no greenery. There's nothing to eat. Sort of take them through that part to the Willamette Valley where they're settled. But we, we're told almost nothing about their sort of the circumstances that led them to make this journey. Like we don't know exactly where they're coming from. I think someone mentions Virginia at some point. They're clearly from back east, um, but we don't really know why they're there. Yeah. And so we're just plonked from scene one into this kind of existential nothingness of this trip across this very dry plain. And part of it is, yeah, part of it is a very parched. It almost sort of, at one point, they're kind of going through a place that looks sort of like those salt flats around Salt Lake City. You know, the kind of cracked earth, the, the ground is almost white. And in the blaring sun, it looks, it, it's pretty desert. Like the first scene, the movie opens where they're, they're sort of fording a river. They're filling up their water bucket. And the first thing we see before anyone even speaks is one of the characters is carving into a dry log the word lost. Right. Uh, which is our first hint that something has kind of gone amiss. And, of course, at that point, they, they're at, at least at a river. They have water. But it's very ominous that this word is being carved into the into the log. And sure enough, they move away from the water. And they're kind of trying to find their way back on the trail to the valley that they're searching for, but they're also trying to find water. They're, you know, after a couple of days go by, their supplies start to run low, both of food, but especially water. They don't have enough water for themselves or for the animals that are pulling the carts. And so there's, some, there's a real kind of dire nature to the journey. It's not just sort of wandering through this, this land. They're, they've got to find water. And to the extent that there's any dramatic conflict at all besides are these people going to survive this privation, it has to do with this character Meek, right, right. who – it becomes increasingly clear doesn't really know – either doesn't know where he's going or has deliberately misled them for some reason, but at any rate is refusing to admit that he doesn't know where he's going. So there's also this um, this tension around this character and whether he can be trusted. Exactly. Right. And and he's uh, he's sort of a swashbuckling type. He likes to tell stories about where typically he's been the hero and he's been shooting Indians or wrestling a bear, whereas the the, the couples are all rather sort of austere people who don't – they don't talk much. A couple of them are, are pretty God-fearing folk. And uh, so there's a real contrast between the settlers and this kind of big personality of Meek who who seems like he is just blustering his way through the whole Right. Situation. He has a kind of a Buffalo Bill kind of feeling about him right down to the fringe vest and exactly. everything. He's played by Bruce Greenwood, who I didn't recognize through the entire film, an actor that I really like. But he's, he's so grizzled and bearded and yeah. unrecognizable that I had no idea who it was till the final He credits. has a massive beard real, and, a, and a really long mustache. It's a kind of a great imposing look. The first time we see him, he stumbles out of his tent kind of later than everybody getting up later than everybody else and he does this great big yawning stretch uh, and his beard is flowing in the wind he's really kind of he's fa- fantastic to look at throughout 
the movie, and he sort of gives liveliness to the to the movie, given that all that happens is these people are moving through the sort of empty countryside for but that's 90 not minutes. quite all that happens before right. we before we come back around to talking about <clears throat> kelly reichert which i still want to do before we get to serious spoilage we should mention that the to the extent that there's any event that happens at all it's that they come across at some point this indian right right from what tribe do they say he's from or they actually just speculate i don't think they actually they're not know. sure meek in a sort of fu- funny way like rattles off like six or seven different tribes that he could be but he kind of each each one he's like well he could be this but no he would be he'd be wearing pants so <laughs> he could be this but he, he wouldn't have that mark on his shoulder. Uh, so I don't think that they ever really nail it down. And of course, the kind of Indian he is, is not just an academic question. They, they need to know whether this guy is someone who is inclined to help a group of white settlers or, or to lead them to their, to their death. They have no idea. Right. And uh, he doesn't speak a word of English. So right. it, it eventually transpires after some debate about what to do with this Indian. Should they, should they kill him? Because they actually have him at one point tied up on the ground and at gunpoint and could easily do away with him. But because the settlers seem disturbed and also because they might need his help getting out of the valley, they decide to let him live as their prisoner and he's supposed to lead them. Right, he's supposed to lead them toward water. Toward water, right. But Meek wants to kill him. Meek's, you know, he he claims to have all this experience with Indians. He thinks they're all savages. He's seen them peel the skin off a man. He's seen them do all these awful things, and he's done awful things back to them. Uh, he's shot them for sport uh, in the past. He tells us so. He wants to just kill the the Indian immediately, but the sort of cooler heads prevail, and uh, he's allowed to lead the people through through the wilderness with the question hanging over the that portion of the movie even after they find the Indian is is the Indian leading them towards water towards you know where his tribe is hanging out towards nothing we have no idea his face is completely into an ambush to, right? into an ambush his face is completely impossible to read he doesn't speak English the movie leaves that completely ambiguous so all right I'm calling a timeout here because I think we need to step back and take a slightly larger perspective I think somebody listening to this who who hadn't seen the preview and hadn't seen any film by Kelly Reichert might be saying like, this sounds like a swashbuckling Western and I'm in. <laughs> and I'm not saying that you shouldn't be in, but I think that we should just describe the, the kind of movie and the feel that this movie has. Okay, so it's the third film, at least the third film that's gotten any distribution right. of this female director who's probably, what, in her late 30s or so? Yeah, at Kelly least. Reichert. Her films, if you wanted to say that they are all marked by some quality, it would be maybe austerity, reserve, mm-hmm. right? They're very, very quiet. This movie has remarkably little dialogue. So everything that we've just described is, is happening in this atmosphere of, you know, whooshing prairie winds and near total silence. Right. In general, it just, it doesn't really feel like a Western, although it does take place in the Old West. It's not the Wild West. Right. It's not, I mean, when we think of a Western, the funny thing about Westerns, and this is something that uh, Albert Ventura points out in a piece for Slate that is about Meek's cutoff, but also sort of about Reichert's films more generally. The thing about Westerns is that they typically take place in the Old West, but what they're really taking place is in the town of Tombstone or in the town, you know, any any sort of uh, Western town where there's a bank and a saloon and uh, a sheriff and a, and they're actually take place in these sort of outposts of civilization in Arizona or in Texas. Uh, whereas this this movie, it takes place in the American West, but it's really, it takes place in the wilderness. And as Elbert notes in his piece, typically Westerns don't actually have that much interest in the wilderness. Here, the movie takes place completely outside the confines of civilization. Right. Well, I mean, the classic conflict in the Western would be between what happens at the frontier between wilderness and civilization, right? And right. so there's the settlers versus the Indians or maybe the farmers versus, you know, the people who want to push on and explore or whatever. Who wants to stop and farm? Who wants to go on and conquer? Um, but here, all those questions are kind of tabled, right? And right. there's just a, a bare basic question of survival. And I think 
possibly a critique of the the Western, although I'm not exactly sure if that's what she was going for or not. Yeah, I think that's true. I think there is a critique of, of the Western because it's sort of set in that milieu, but it, it doesn't sort of truck in any of the of the kinds of drama that we think of in, in the American Western. It also has much more interest in its female characters than a classic American Western probably would. And that's something that maybe we should we should talk yeah, about. Yeah, to the extent that there's a main character among the settlers, it's it's probably Michelle Williams' character. I mm-hmm. can't remember if she is even ever given a name. She Her last name is Tetherow. Right. Um, and her husband's name is Solomon. But I don't know if she has a first name. It's possible, and that would be an interesting choice, too, that she's just Mrs. Tetherow, and that's, right. all, that's all that we hear about her. But for various reasons, she's the main character. She's the one person who seems to be able to or willing to challenge Meek mm-hmm. on his uh, his sense of direction <laughs> right. and his, his willingness buffoonery. to own up to, you know, to, to his own bluster about pretending to know where they are. So there's some scenes where she kind of calls him on his on his bullshit, right. not knowing where they're going in a way that makes it seem to us somewhat menacing, right? Because right. Meek is kind of an unstable and scary seeming guy. Sure. And she also, to the extent that any of them stand up for the Native American guy that they pick up on their travels, it's her. Well, her and Solomon. I mean, Solomon, I think— Her husband. He ha- yeah, her husband Played has Played by to- Will Patton, interestingly. Right. Love to see Will Patton in that role. Yeah, he, and he, I thought he was great. And he—because in this world that Reichardt is depicted, the men make the decisions. The three husbands are trying to decide whether to trust Meek's directions to go further or whether to hang him or whether, you know, what to do. And the women are just sort of standing just far enough that they're still within earshot and we can almost kind of hear the murmur of the men talking. Talking, but the women are kind of cut out of the decision making. That said, there are a couple of scenes where Solomon Tetherow kind of reports back what the menfolk had been talking about to his wife, and his wife offers him her counsel, which you know I think Solomon does ultimately take. So, but she does she stands up for the Indian, and she also interacts with the Indian more than any other character. She she brings him water, she gives him food. She seems to have a real feeling of compassion for him that no, that sort of none of the other characters share. And then as long as we're spoiling, here's one of the uh, the, the few big events in the movie, right, is, is that um, there's a moment when Meek, having had it with the Indian, after this horrible moment in which one of their covered wagons crashes and doesn't make it down this hill, right, so a third of their transportation, basically, and belongings have been destroyed right. while they're still in the middle of nowhere. And Meek, in a fury, takes off and is about to shoot the Indian. But uh, Michelle Williams' character stands up and points a, a rifle back at Meek and says, you, you are not going to shoot this guy. And they have this extended standoff where it's not clear at all what's going to happen. But ultimately, Michelle Williams is uh, is successful in sparing the Indian's life. And then here, So here's something, and I guess now we're getting into some really serious spoilage, but that's right. just as well, is that nobody dies in this movie, right? right? And it's the kind of movie in which it's sort of set up that somebody's going to have to buy it. It's sure. either going to be Meek or it's going to be the Indian or one of the set or, you know, everybody's going to go up in some huge violent conflagration. I mean, right. because it's so deliberately paced and there's so much menace and so much is at stake, it's almost unbelievable that at the end of the movie, no one has died. Although one of the settlers has gotten very sick and there's a possibility he might die. But there's no act of violence that results in anyone's death. Maybe we should just go ahead and spoil the ending. The well, super- you mentioned this. This actually cracked me up that you saw the trailer after having seen the movie. Right, right. <laughs> and there was this one enigmatic gesture that the movie ends with, which, of course, in the context of the trailer is just like, what? It's a guy walking along a plane. And then when you saw it, you said, oh, damn, the trailer completely spoiled the movie. Yeah, it's really funny. So the movie ends and essentially they, they find a tree. They've been walking through this basically completely dry, arid, lifeless valley after valley. 
and they come upon a tree. It's like a sad tree. It's not like a great, you know, ver- verdant. Oh my God, we found you know the the valley tree. It's like well, this- it's an actually it's a half and half, which is kind of interesting. It sort of seems like a tree that's been struck by lightning or something because half of it is dead, right, and then half of it is green. So right. it is a completely you know it's completely splitting the line between hope and despair. Exactly. So they they don't know exactly what the tree means. If it means oh we're close to water or or what, and the audience doesn't know either. And the, the movie basically ends with the discovery of this tree. And Michelle Williams, the kind of last shot shows Michelle Williams looking through a sort of the branches of the tree at the Indian who is walking off and he's probably like 30 paces away and we just sort of watch him walk off into the distance and we don't I think you and I debated this after the movie is he walking away like I'm done with you I've led you to this tree now leave me alone is he saying this is the way follow me it's not clear at all what they've found wh- whether they're going to continue to follow the Indian it's it's completely ambiguous and yeah you're right I went and <laughs> saw the trailer on Monday night uh, at Film Forum and part of the trailer is showing uh, Michelle Williams looking through that those tree branches at the Indian and as, as someone who's seen the movie you realize oh my god that's the climactic ending of this movie that's the you know they're giving the, away the whole thing but of course when you're watching it as a trailer and you don't know what this movie's about really it just seems like a, you know a shot of a woman looking through a tree right? it's, but it's kind of comic because that's that is the climactic ending of this movie that we've been watching for ninety minutes. Will they find water? And all we get is Michelle Williams looking through a tree at an Indian, right? Which sounds more unsatisfying when I say it than it, than it is. I mean, there's something really powerful about the ambiguity of the of the ending. I think. Did it work I don't for you? No, I mean, we haven't actually visited this very important question that we usually do right on top of a spoiler, which is, did you actually like this movie and think it worked? I mean. I don't know that I feel that the ending was, you know, so breathtakingly brilliant. I mean, it was ambiguous, that's for sure. It was meant to be ambiguous. I don't think that it necessarily needed to be unambiguous. But I also felt that this movie fell apart in the last hour of all the beautiful things that it had set up in the first hour. Or half hour, maybe. I mean, just that the way that some of these questions were resolved. What's the Indians' relationship to the settlers? Are they, are they not going to make it? Do we want them to make it or not? You know, is is Meek a liar and a, a shyster? Or is he, you know, just somebody who's in the same boat as everybody else? All those things were left so unresolved. I very rarely use this term about a movie, but I found the ending a little bit pretentious, I think, huh. in a way. There's a couple lines of dialogue that Meek says right before the Indian walks off when they find the tree, right? They're right. kind of at this moment of crisis where they have to decide. Actually, it wasn't even quite clear to me what they were deciding because, as we said, on walking out of the movie, there's really not anything to do except keep going in the same direction, right? right? I think that there were just some moments toward the end only where this movie was grasping for a kind of biblical – that she was trying to make her There Will Be Blood, you know, right. that, a movie that I love, but that she was trying to reach for her biblical mythopoetic Mojo in a way that didn't, <laughs> that didn't necessarily always work. And the two lines that Meek says, I have them scribbled down here, was something about – so they're, they're trying to decide, right, whether right. to keep going in the same direction as the tree or set off in some other direction where ultimately it's decided that they're going to follow the Tetheros and do what the Tetheros decide, which is, I guess, narratively dramatically important in that Meek is showing some humility and kind of giving up his, his bluster about right. knowing what they're doing. But then he says this thing, we're all just playing our parts now. And then there's just silence. And then he says, this was written long before we got here. Right. Right. And something about, in the, given the absolute spareness of this movie and that people are not going around saying things like that, that they're essentially just saying the most functional dialogue that they have to say to get through their day. The fact that he suddenly gets into this biblical bluster in front of this lightning struck tree, it just seemed a little bit heavy going to me. Yeah. And it was it's weird that Meek speaks that way because the, the settler who's fallen ill – he is seen reading the Bible throughout. So the Bible's been in the movie. Well, if he had said those lines, it would be entirely different because right. he's already a Bible-thumping character. Right, but there's nothing God-fearing about Meek. I mean, Meek is, you know, he, he admits that he's a sinner, that he's committed murder. He, he, in fact, regrets some of his actions and just sort of, at one point, has a sort of great moment of honesty where he says that he's done awful things and, you know, he sort of un, 
unredeemable. And he does have this funny refrain uh, where he says, hell's full of fill in the blank. So there's a little bit of a suggestion that he that he maybe knows his Bible a little bit better than you'd expect from a guy like that. But uh, I agree that that part felt it did feel a little bit ponderous. I don't know. I guess I just feel it's more than a week since I saw this movie now. I, I'm really glad I saw it. I think it was a very bold move of Kelly Reichardt to make this kind of movie. But I don't think it's a it's an entirely accomplished film. Both Albert Ventura, who, who wrote the Slate piece I mentioned earlier, and uh, there was a piece in the New York Times on Sunday about the movie, um, both of them sort of also suggested that part of what's going on here is that this is, though it's a movie about the 1840s, it's also a sort of allegory about the time in which it was made, which is 2007. There's a sort of modern political allegory where you have a group of people being kind of led by this dim-witted cowboy into a country that they fully don't understand and uh, where they encounter a people that they don't understand. And clearly, this is, you know, the idea is that this is a sort of allegory of the way that we bumbled into the Iraq war. Does that work for you at all? Does that it... never would have occurred to me? Yeah, it wouldn't have occurred to me either, but it, it's, it's interesting. It, it showed up both in, in Slate and in The Times. I guess it would have occurred to me insofar as I did see Meek as a kind of classic American antihero, right? right. I mean, this kind of bumbling... Gonzo guy who's you know getting into all kinds of trouble by pretending that he knows about things that he knows nothing about, right? And also just kind of a manifest destiny kind of figure, like we must plow on and you know extinguish the red man or whatever. Right. I mean, he, that's not even an allegory. That's just exactly what his character is. Right. And, it hadn't and, really struck me as a war allegory, but when I think about it, all of Kelly Reichardt's earlier films have functioned both as the story that they were, I think very nicely as the story right. that they were, and also in some larger way as a social allegory. So why shouldn't this one be the same? Yeah, I mean, I think that's maybe why this is on the minds of the of these other writers. I mean, uh, like an Old Joy, which is ostensibly a movie about a sort of old friendship that these two men are trying to rekindle, and then they kind of ultimately discover that they've grown apart. There are these scenes at the beginning and the end with one character listening to sort of liberal radio that kind of makes the political moment kind of intrude on what feels like a very close character study. And also, you know, I think that the... In and a way, Wendy and Lucy, her, her last film before this, it works very nicely as a story about a girl and her dog, a homeless woman played by Michelle Williams and her dog Lucy, but is also, I think, a, a sort of a great little allegory about downward mobility in America. Yeah, and that movie was sort of... I feel like it was made early enough that it was it felt prescient too that it was made at a, at a moment before a lot more downward mobility occurred in American history after that movie came out. It's only, I think that movie's only become more resonant over over time. Um, I just if I think about how I felt walking out of Old Joy and Wendy and Lucy, which was just these movies are finds, you know, they're right. really gems, and this person's voice is is just it's completely her own. I don't know that Meek's cutoff left me with that same. Experience. Yeah, I, I, it does feel like more of a reach. One thing that you uh, mentioned before we started recording that I wanted to ask you about is that I think you also felt like Michelle Williams's character didn't quite work for you. There's a certain modernity to her character that we sort of touched on earlier that, you know, she's the, the one who stands up to Meek. She's the one who in large part helps to make the decision about uh, saving the Indian and then ultimately does save the Indian with her with her gunplay. Was part of the, your problem with the movie tied up with the Michelle Williams character? Yeah, I'm trying to get at this in writing my review right now, and I'm just completely casting in the dark and not being able to, to express it because on the one hand, it's it's a great character. It's very well drawn. It's very well played. Michelle Williams is the perfect muse for Kelly Reichardt. They seem to understand each other perfectly. Yeah. And, and she's the most appealing and sympathetic character in the movie. She's the one who, you know, sort of humanizes the other more than anyone else in the movie. Right. She sort of has like the, the kind of contemporary liberal reactions to, to the setting. Right. I mean, I guess that's my problem. And maybe you should write my review for me. I mean, basically, <laughs> she's somehow too modern. And that was another moment where the movie felt inauthentic to me, or it felt like it was it was reaching for something and kind of overreaching. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and I felt like, yeah, the sort of contemporary 
liberal humanist sensibility was inscribed in that character in a way that was that not just not chronological, but also sort of not dramatically coherent. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think I'm a little bit less disappointed than you were by the ending, but I, I take your points that it, it was fr- the ending was frustrating. I think on purpose, Reichardt wasn't as in control of the ambiguity and, and feelings of frustration that it leaves the viewer with as she as she could have been if, if it had been slightly handled slightly differently. And I do agree that that Meek's uh, turn at the end to the biblical is a little bit hard to figure. Although I suppose if he's if we're if we're thinking of him as a George W. Bush uh, stand-in, kind of falling back on the Bible, I guess uh, kind of completes that that allegory. But I don't think that can hold up his behavior. Yeah, but George Bush would not be one given to uttering those kind of like. How can I describe it? He is being a prophet at that moment, right? It's a right. moment of prophecy. And I guess my question was, does Kelly Reichert want us to believe that he's a prophet? Are we making fun of his propensity to pose like a prophet? It seemed as if the movie was just offering that up straightforwardly as a reading of what the end means. It's all written in the beginning of time that we're meant to meet at this blasted tree. I mean, there's ambiguous endings and ambiguous endings. Yeah. And I know what it is to see a movie with an ambiguous ending that leaves you walking away going, whoa. Right. And to me, this wasn't that feeling. It was more like, huh. It was more like, what? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, John, thanks a lot for scratching your head with me over Meek's Cutoff. Uh, my pleasure. Our producer is Krishnan Vasudevan. The executive producer of Slate Podcast is Andy Bowers. For Slate.com, I'm Dana Stevens. Hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.